stories in the news at this hour. Senator Proxmire tells the Emergency Financial Control Board it would not be wise to okay the city's new transit pact. An $851,000 heist in the basement of the Daily News building looked like an inside job, and State Welfare Inspector General has harsh words for New York City's Welfare Department. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news, 11 o'clock, over WOR Radio 710, the talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard. Thank <laughs> you. 
Like I say, friends, just ain't no substitute anywhere for talent. Like I often say to my friends, many are called, but <laughs> that's right. For any of you who are out there who are pilots, uh, and uh, I happen to be a pilot uh, from time to time, for those of you who are pilots, I'd like to uh, salute a fellow pilot out there in uh, Chowchilla, California. Madeira County Sheriff's officers thought they might be on the trail of a marijuana smuggler when an area resident reported a white package had been dropped from a low-flying private airplane. Alerted by the report, deputies scoured the area without success. The mystery was solved when a nearby resident, Debbie McDonald, told inquiring deputies that she had asked her husband, Tim, to bring home a box of disposable diapers before flying his plane Sunday on a trip. <laughs> Instead, he bought the diapers, took off on his plane, dropped the cardboard box out as he passed over the family's front yard. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I've, uh, of course, I've never dropped anything from an airplane that I know of. I mean, you know, flying, no, I never have done that. Uh, you know, first of all, it's against the law. You understand that, see? You have to get special FAA permission to drop a propaganda leaflets <laughs> from an air. That's why they don't do it. Did you know that? Oh, sure, of course. See, that's one of the great things about listening to my show. It, it increases your vast store of knowledge. I mean, it may not be useful knowledge, but let me tell you one thing. There is no knowledge that is not useful in some way or another, even if it only just enlarges your head. You know, you know. Oh, speaking about knowledge, uh, uh, I got a letter from a guy who says, uh, Shepard, you must really get some fantastic, uh, wildly uh, intriguing uh, type letters from time to time. Is that right, Shepard? He says, I'm doing a school paper on this. The letters that people get who are in the media and in entertainment, what kind of letters do you get? Well, <laughs> uh, kid couldn't be truer. For example, there's one lady for five years who's been writing to me, and she is under the impression, uh, for some mysterious reason, that I am fantastically in love with her. Now, I don't know where she got this idea, since I've never been to the town the lady uh, writes from, and I've never you know, heard of her or anything, but she has this idea that I am in love. She isn't in love with me. I'm in love with her, see. And so here's the latest letter. There's this little line. It says, one day, that's right, one day you will realize how you have become an empty shell because of your totally undeserved and completely unrequited love for me. You are now an empty shell. I mean, what can I do about that? Empty shell, that's me. Just a dried husk blowing in the winds of passion. <laughs> if you listen carefully, if you turn up the uh, gain on your radio there, you'll hear the wind blowing through the vast hollows of me, an empty shell. Uh, you know, what can I say about that? I mean, you open up your mail. You, how many of you have ever gotten a letter like that that accuses you of being an empty shell? Oh, I've got letters. Any given the mail, I'm accused of either being a communist, a right-wing nut, 
My show ain't as good as it used to be. My show is better than it used to be. I finally come to my senses. I have finally lost all sanity. All of this comes in one mail. Plus, in addition to that, innumerable letters addressed like this one. Now, here, here's the... Uh, I, hey, you know, I've been meaning to do something about this on the air for a long time, and I've got to... I, I just, it has to be put down for the record that uh, one of the current gimmicks that seems to be around is every little cockamamie organization, whether it be the uh, International Ladies for the Preservation of the Bluetooth Snout Whale, uh, Incorporated. Every little organization has a form letter, which they send out apparently to everybody all over the country who has ever made a movie, has ever written a short story, has ever written a novel, has ever had his own radio or television show, and it begins like this. It says, Dear, and then they fill in the name, see, like, Dear Robert Redford, you know. And then the novel, uh, the, 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 the letter goes on to say this. It says, As a celebrity, vast numbers of people would be interested in owning something which you have contributed to our fund. We are conducting a celebrity auction, and because you are so fantastically well-known, we know that uh, any contribution you will make to our little group, it doesn't make any difference what it is. A new Cadillac, uh, an old town canoe, a sailboat, a palace on the Riviera, no matter what you could contribute to us, anything that you'd like to throw out, like, uh, oh, uh, a home in Maine, anything that you have no use for any longer, a chalet in Bermuda, uh, be sure to let us know immediately, and we will put it on our auction, and we will be fantastically indebted to you forever. Signed, Chairman, Mrs. L.G. Gumpox, Chairman of the Ladies Society for the Preservation of the Blue-Toothed Snout Whale. <laughs> and then it, just on the bottom, it always says, P.S., it's tax deductible. Well, now, that's what, you know, I get these things by the hundreds now, from all kinds of organizations, ranging all the way from the Ku Klux Klan down to the ladies who want to preserve the, the uh, main bean industry. I get this stuff, see. But the worst part of it is, almost all of them start out, it says, uh, it's, it says, Dear Celebrity. And then underneath it, it says, uh, Dear Ms. Shepherd, because you are so... <laughs> if I get called Ms. Shepherd once more, I think I'm going to, to quote Dorothy Parker, flow up. Dear, and of course, I don't mind being called Ms. Shepherd. But then when they go on to say, our chairman and myself, I've listened to your show for many years and love it, Ms. Shepherd, especially your discussion the other day with the uh, uh, cooking editor of the Long Island Press. It was a wonderful show. I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. Oh, by the way, have you gotten your dog's horoscope yet? Do you know that you can now get a dog horoscope? Oh, yes, uh, dogs are now part of the astrological system. And uh, if you have a dog, you can get his horoscope. If your dog is a Leo, you know, and uh, have you seen the horoscopes for dogs? Oh, you know, they say things like, uh, uh, between the days of May 7th and May 9th, these are good days for you, especially if you're a dachshund. I would suggest that you consolidate your gains with your friends. Make sure that uh, you take no unnecessary financial chances. And uh, incidentally, if you have any romantic attachments, uh, be sure to pursue them with particular ardor this time. Since you are a Leo, you... <laughs> oh, man. 
Man, is, I'll tell you. You, know, you think I'm kidding you. Well, listen, look, here's a piece here. I want to, want to read this. This is a, a personalized pent horoscope. Uh, 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 there is, a, in fact, a, a, a nationally advertised uh, pet food that is now going to offer, along with their their dog food or their cat food, they're going to offer a love-worn column and advice column. You know, after all, we have it, uh, dear Abby. Uh, you know, all my, my uh, I, in, in all my experience in life, I have never felt the urge to go to somebody else for advice. I think there's two kinds of people in this world. The advice seekers and the advice givers. <laughs> now, I have never felt the urge to, uh, to, you know, to, to, to take up uh, something like, uh, you know, the, uh, all of them, particularly the suburbs, you know, self-improvement is a very big thing in the suburbs. For every housewife who is attending at least three nighttime classes at the local university in everything from practical psychology to Zen Buddhism uh, by way of how to repair flexible flyer sleds, uh, you know, it's all self-help. It's a this is the American dream. Today I shall grow into a greater human being. And tomorrow I shall be greater still. And the day after that, God knows what heights I shall reach. Ah, the romantic dream. 26% of the Americans quizzed by Gallup poll do not know what significant event occurred in 1776. And 37% of the Americans quiz don't even know what the hell radio station they're listening to. It's just jabbering away in a corner. This is WOR New York. It's time for commercial dinghies. Is that it? Am I through with all my commercials? I can do a program. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Oh, wow. I don't know what to do, you know. I expect one day to come in here... And uh, there will be a note that says, cut your theme short. We've really got a full schedule tonight. And out of 45 minutes, I will do 47 one-minute spots. <laughs> I, I fully expect to see that one day. Uh, the good things wrapped up in one. Well, I'll tell you, you, it's, you have to learn to be philosophical about today's world. You can't, uh, you can't uh, really get it, uh, get it under the cuticle there. I mean, you can't. Uh, you just got to learn to roll with it. And uh, I mean, after all, if the dachshunds today are reading their horoscopes, what's next? How far can it go? I, I expect one day. If you notice, speaking of commercials, uh, there must be a uh, there must be a real dog and cat mania that's uh, spreading throughout this country. No, very seriously. Have you noticed that? Uh, that, uh, that the cat food commercials have so proliferated on TV. Proliferated means they have become more, right? You understand? <laughs> Proliferation sounds like something that uh, you insulate a wall with. However, uh, seriously, though, uh, I think one day uh, they're going to look at the program logs and schedules of our time, and they'll see what our hang-ups were. We had two hang-ups in our time. Hair and pets. In fact, uh, 
these two. Uh, oh, yeah, and one other thing. Underarm? Oh, no, that was a 1960 hang-up. No, that's... that's a, the underarm uh, deodorant type things are beginning to slowly drop off. Pet foods are proliferating, much more so. See, I'm trying to keep you up to date. Now, you don't want to admit that, but that's what I'm trying to do. See, as a student of the uh, uh, of the media, you, 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 you cannot keep fighting last year's dragons. Because last year's dragons, you know, are last year's dragons. You want to fight this year's dragons. And, uh, for example, uh, uh, a few years ago, everybody was talking about computers. Remember, they were always talking about how, how terrible it was going to be. Do not, you, you could buy a, uh, a T-shirt that says, uh, Do not spindle, uh, do not mutilate. I am, uh, and everyone didn't want to be called a number. Now, people have gone all the way the other, to the other extreme. And one of the new growing hobbies is building your own computer. Did you know that? Well, yes, there are thousands of... Because course, this is part of the American romantic spirit. Uh, I think uh, in this spring period now, we must take the time to salute uh, uh, that, that romantic uh, American attitude that uh, you're capable of anything. They, they don't believe that in a lot of other countries in the world. Now, they might be, that may be a failure on their part, but Americans believe that uh, if they really got down to it, they could write a novel. Practically every, practically every American says, if I had the time, I could write a song. If I had the time, I could learn to shoot 72 golf. You know, if I had the time. Of course, I'm so busy now working in the mayor room, I don't have time to do all this. And <laughs> this, is a, this is such a, you know, such a great American thing that uh, we can't shoot it down but the once in a while, you know, you get intimations that uh, possibly something may actually happen good to you. Now, it's often the false intimation. For example, I'd like to salute a kid in Princeton a couple of months back. I don't know whether you heard about this, but uh, this has to be saluted. Let's go on the record. A Princeton University student found an unexpected present in the mail upon his return to school this week. Came back to Princeton, you know, he took a little time off and and uh, he checked with his bank and, uh, he, you know, find out how much he had in his checking account. And he found that he had, uh, well, he had, uh, actually, his balance was $199,863.99. He blew his stack. He had $199,000 plus. $199,000 in the bank. And uh, we're quoting this student there. Of course, remember, he's an Ivy Leaguer, so he has a certain way of speaking. So I was slightly amazed. My first reaction was that we were going to buy Brown Hall, my dormitory, and turn it into a beautiful French chateau. In addition to that, I was going to buy a Steinway Grand Piano for my dormitory room and perhaps take my friends on a Riviera cruise. But then, of course, he found out that the bank... Uh, his mother had sent him 200 bucks uh, by check to the bank, and the check, uh, uh, after it passed through all the various computers, they added a lot of zeros after it, and it just seemed that they put $200,000 in his account. And the damn fool, instead of going around and just pretending that's the way it should be, because after all, what did they do to him? He calls up the bank and says, Oh, fellas, you've made a mistake. 
At which point, he says, they got a little irritated with me. Instead of thanking me for pointing that out, I mean, many people don't want to be pointed out to them that they have blown it. And he probably would have been very well accepted of the bank had he not said anything. Now, I don't know whether this has ever happened to you. Have you ever had? Well, okay. All right. All right, all right, all right, kid. Or that Princeton. You're not the only one that's happened to. Now, I had a thing like that happen to me once at a very early age. And I suspect that's why people have written to me many times, you know, and they said, well, Shepard, how can you do this uh, show every night? And you always sound like, uh, you know, life is really going to, any minute now, it's going to be fantastic. How is this? Have you noticed this about me? You have. Well, I'll tell you, it's because I actually believe it is going to be. That's not a pose. No, no. Now, uh, this kid, let's see, what is his name? It's Stephen J. Chanock. From this point on, Stephen J. Chanock is a changed man. Now, he doesn't know it yet. But 65 years from now, people are still going to wonder why old Steve, sitting down at the end of the bar there, has a sparkle in the eye. Because he remembers the day that he took his bank statement out of the mail, and he had $199,000 in it, totally unexpected. And you never know when that's going to happen again. Now, to those of you to whom nothing has ever really happened, I, I don't blame you for walking around like clods. I mean, you know, I think the world's, uh, you know, uh, you, you make it what it is, that's all. Uh, uh, one of my uh, friends came up with a famous remark one time. Now, she was sitting in uh, the Fiend John, which was a which was a uh, coffee shop of the period down in the village, and all of a sudden it hit her just like that. She just looked out of the window and says, Suburbanites are all dead from the neck up. Well, of course, at that point there was a great roar of laughter from her fellow her fellow hangers on at the Fiend John, and uh, the term immediately fell into popular use, and today now it's a popular cliche. But I know the person who first said it. Since that time, that person has become a suburbanite and is dead from the neck up. But <laughs> I just couldn't resist that, even though it isn't true. I mean, you know, a comic cannot resist a good line, even if it's totally untrue. But that, nevertheless, I'll tell you what happened to me. I, I had, it, I actually had a thing like it's a terrible shock to suddenly find yourself in a completely different league. You know, it's like it's like a kid. Uh, you know, it's like playing ball. If you're playing baseball one day, you're out there playing with the Hessville Eagles. And, uh, <laughs> and you're... <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Sorry. You can't have all the studios, Barry. Get the hell out of here. So, uh, nevertheless, <laughs> I mean, these guys are going to take over the whole damn floor if they can. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, I, this is the problem. The cockroach problem is the same, you know. Give them one crumb, and the next thing you know, they take the whole damn birthday cake home. And the candles. And then try to steal your shoes, too. So, uh, nevertheless, as a kid, see, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, at this point, I always thought the world was logical up to that point. Kids do, you know. Kids tend to believe that the world has a certain logic to it. It's only as you grow more experienced in the ways of the world that you realize that logic is only something that we have imagined exists and we have imposed it on surface moments in our time. But the deep inner logic of life itself is never questioned. 
let's say, the deep lack of inner logic. <laughs> let's put it this way. How the hell are you going to look in the face of chaos and, uh, you know, and say to chaos, you know who chaos is, right? Say to chaos, hey, chaos, when the hell are you going to get it all together? Chaos only laughs back with a hollow laugh. And then you begin to realize you too are part of chaos. There's no real reason why you're on this earth. Why you? What do you mean, why not? See, that's typical slob bar logic. The question is not why not. The question is why. Now, a, a uh, of course, you, you, you cannot you cannot impose scientific reasoning on people who spend all their time eating Slim Jims. You just can't eating Slim Jims and drinking Bud, and uh, <laughs> there's just no way. So, uh, as uh, you know, as, as a matter of actual uh, life practice, one has to well, one has to look at one's life experience to arrive at a conclusion about one's. Life perspective and concept, right, gang? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, all right, I'll tell you what happened to me one time. I had this job, see, I was a messenger. Actually, they called me a mailboy, see. And it was in this vast steel mill. Now, you've all seen movies of steel mills, but the movie of a steel mill is not even remotely as awe-inspiring as the reality of a steel mill. I mean, there's no way you can capture a steel mill in a movie. I mean, that would be just about like saying capturing World War II in an 8mm film. It just isn't going to happen. I mean, a steel mill is a vast, vast, incredibly huge human machine. And then, of course, because it's gotten so incredibly huge, it, it, it no longer, it, it's, it's so far out of hand now, it's so huge, so fantastic, that the human beings who work in it have no more control over the mill than, say, the cockroaches that live in the basement of the World Trade Center can control the elevators. No way. You're just in this vast machine. Okay? And every day, I would run out and deliver the mail, along with about 12 other kids. We would fan out over the, over the mill. See, fan out. And uh, every day, we had our, we have our route assigned, like I would have route 6 or route 5 or route 3 or the blast furnace route or one day I would have the tin mill route. Those are all various names of routes that you have. And you had to know each one of these routes because you may get sent out on every... Every day you would be sent on a different one. Tomorrow I may have the strip mill route. And each one of these routes contained thousands of offices with thousands of guys, various titles and men. And uh, they, you know, played tin there. And they had a vast laboratory. And all these very, very elegant esoteric remote men worked in that laboratory, metallurgists, the superintendent of the whole tin mill. To be superintendent of the whole tin mill is roughly like being the mayor of Pittsburgh. He runs a vast organization. And so, every day I would run to the mill and I would deliver the mail. Now, how much do you think I was earning at that time doing this? Six days a week during the summertime? This is a steel mill, remember. It's not. It's not the, you know, working in some cheap jack job in a in a 
in a uh, supermarket or anything like this. This, you know, it's a steel mill. You know, we're part of the union, the whole thing. How much do you think yeah, I was earning there? Well, that was a fair approximation. I was earning about forty-six bucks a week. Uh, you know, with the money taken out for the uh, union uh, dues and, and uh, money taken out for the safety shoes that I had to buy, money taken out for the safety go uh, goggles that I had to buy, and the safety helmet and the fireproof jacket, which meant that I was actually carrying home about nine, ten dollars a week after they took all the dough out. See, <laughs> oh yeah, have you ever gone through a steel bill dues checkout at the at the gate when all the uh, your fellow union members, all oh, friendly guys each. Each one wearing his uh, steel knuckles and uh, carrying his black jacket. They check your dues book to make sure you're right up to date. <laughs> and if not, pow, you get a knuckle sandwich right in the ear, and you better pay your dues. So, uh, you know, it's a friendly crowd. And uh, one day, I went to the to the paymaster's office. See, I trotted by the paymaster's office. It was Friday. We got paid on a Friday, see, every two weeks. Now, I just trotted by there, and I picked up my yellow envelope. It always looked the same, just yellow envelope. had one of these little glassine windows in it, and I picked it up. See, and I, I, I tried it on my route. So I'm trotting around, and I trot to this office and that office, and I'm flipping the mail there. All the while, I'm carrying my yellow envelope, which I have not even looked at. I'm running to this guy and to that guy. I'm throwing more mail out, throwing more mail out, throwing more mail out, more mail out. And we had this pickup truck that would follow us around, see? And when we got way out on the end of our route and we had delivered all the mail, we would jump in the pickup truck and they'd take us all the way back to the main office, which was now about nine miles away. That's how long these routes were. Oh, you have no idea the condition I was in after running 30, 40, 50, maybe 75 miles a day, you know, just running all the time. So I jump into the pickup truck. It was a panel truck, a Dodge. I jump into the pickup truck. <sighs> Boy, I've been out of my run for about two hours now. What I would do now, they take us back, we pick up one minute.